What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 143 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. I'm slightly under the weather, so my apologies for everyone listening to the sound of my voice today. But uh, to help me out, I have two guests. They are by far the two most frequent guests of this podcast, and it's an emergency podcast. It's uh, it's time for the big guns, so in no particular order whatsoever. Eric Cole and Scott Coleman are both here. What's up, guys? Hey, What's buddy? up? Yeah, nice. this, uh, we've done a lot of like, I mean, all the pods are fun, but usually it's because like, especially over the last like three or four years, it's because the Braves are trading people away. So this is, or this something is terrible nice. happens. Yeah, like GM gets banned for life. Yeah. Yeah, Band, Band for Life was a fun one. That was that was a good podcast. Yeah, yeah doing um, doing doing playoff pod, podcasts and an emerging pod, emergency podcast with like the parades and actually buying players. Uh, I'm in. So yeah, um, so obviously people probably know this by now if you're listening to this, but the Braves made two roster moves on Monday. Um, the headliner is not the one you might think it is. Uh, jo- Josh Donaldson for one year and twenty three million dollars is the reported figure. Braves did not announce contract details, but they did announce that uh, that actually happened. Um, there was a funny moment, and we'll talk about him uh, in, a, in, a, in a little bit, but Brian McCann actually sort of spoiled that one. Um, the reporter was already out there, but during McCann's press conference, he mentioned Donaldson by name, and Anthopoulos kind of made a joke about that, which is uh, funny if you haven't seen that video. I would encourage people to go ahead and find that. So uh, let's just start on Donaldson. You know, one year, $23 million. That's a lot of money, but it's also one year. And uh, kind of hilariously, I, I, was, I was actually reminded of, uh, of this by Joe Lucia, who I had on the podcast last week. We talked about this exact scenario last week on the podcast. Um, not, not in a dead serious way, but we did mention that Donaldson was kind of the break-even point where I'd be okay going out and getting a third baseman, and they did it, which is interesting. So um, we'll talk about specifics here in a second, but uh, I guess I'll just direct traffic here. uh, Eric, we'll go to you first. What was your uh, original reaction when you uh, saw this news break? Because obviously McCann's stuff hit first. That was a little bit less important in the grand scheme, but Donaldson was kind of a haymaker out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, obviously the language from the front office was that the infield wasn't necessarily something they were – targeting is for upgrades oh no no, no that was not that was not what they said they said they said we are comfortable with the infield and well, we, we, we all made we, we all made fun of that and they, well, they didn't some of this yeah <laughs> well fair enough and clearly they weren't <laughs> comfortable they with were, they were, they were, <laughs> that was the uh, the all-time gm speak from uh, well, Anthopolis on that one well this is true and my, my first when i first heard the one year 23 million figure like i i had like what a lot of people do is like kind of like wow that's a lot of money for one year but if you kind of think about it it's it's not nearly as risky as like a if you even if you give him a three year deal, I am fully confident that Donaldson, if he wanted it, he could have signed a three year seventeen to eighteen million dollar contract. I think he could have gotten that in this market because he's just even coming off the injury, like the injury plagued year, he came back well after he came came back from injury, even in a small sample, and he's been so good for so long. I think someone would have paid him that. Now getting into that twenty to you know twenty twenty five million dollars a year, that gets a little tricky over a longer deal. And if, if someone had told me the Braves signed Donaldson to a two-year, $38 million contract or something like that, I could have seen that contract being a possibility, and I probably that probably would have been a little bit rich for me. But one year, $23 million, if you only you're not committing any money past 2019. He's been one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball since, what, 2013 probably? It's hard to be upset about this deal. I'm I'm happy that it deepens the Braves bench, and we'll probably talk about that in a bit. But it also it puts like a real power bat in the middle of the, in the middle of the lineup, as opposed to having to have Nick Barkakis pretend to be one for half a season. And 
you have a guy that has real upside and is going to be playing for his next contract, which means you know you don't have that kind of last contract doesn't doesn't necessarily fulfill expectations. There's risk. I'm not saying this is a home run deal. I think this is the Braves a deal the Braves do ten out of ten times, but it does come with risk because he's had some injury issues with both calves and you know had some issues with like his throwing arm too that it was they were a little weird in terms of you know him getting throws over first base. I mean, there's risk involved, but it's minimized by the fact that you only have him under contract for one year. You're not signing him to like a $120 million deal where you end up having to eat the last two years because you just can't play baseball anymore. I mean, I, when, once I kind of sat down and thought about it in terms of the grand scheme of things, it, it, I can see why the Braves did it. I'm confused a little bit as to why Donaldson did it because I think, he, again, he had a chance for a multi-year deal like in front of him, but he, I think he's betting on himself, and I'm happy that you know he decided to do that with the Braves. I'm with you. I mean, I think, as they say, there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. And as you alluded to, I think Donaldson probably could have held out and gotten a little bit more of a a guarantee on the years. But as others have said, he's really kind of betting on himself. And before his his injury riddle 2018, um, I think it was Fangraphs noted that no player in baseball other than Mike Trout had a higher war than Donaldson from uh, 2013 to 2017, which is which is crazy. Anytime you're second to Mike Trout in anything, it's it's pretty special. So, yeah, if, if he's healthy in 2018 and has the year that he had again from 2013 to 17, he's probably looking at a deal of four or five years and I don't know, 150, 175 million. So, as you said, there is some risk here. I mean, anytime you're you're going to offer a guy say 20 percent of your your opening day payroll. There, there is some risk there if he gets hurt, if his calf start has, starts having issues again, if the shoulder starts flaring up. The injury risk is is real, but at the same time, to take a chance on a guy who is two or three years removed from winning the MVP award, and there are just so few right-handed power bats out there anymore who will legitimately provide protection for Freddie Freeman. Um, even when Marcakis was going well last year, you can't say that any team realistically pitched to Freddie because they were afraid of Marcakis. Um, I, I don't think that's going to be the case next year. If, if Donaldson's healthy and, and hitting like he did, really like he did in September with the uh, with the Indians after the trade, um, teams aren't going to be able to pitch around Freddie anymore because Donaldson is is just as good of, if if not frankly, a better hitter when he's going right. So um, I'm a big fan of the move. Um, limiting it to one year is is kind of a no-lose situation for the Braves. If he does get hurt, they have some options on the roster, and, and we'll talk about the impact on Camargo in a little bit. But it seems like a no-lose proposition to me and one with a ton of upside. And even if even if Donaldson can be a shell of the player he was uh, during that five-year stretch with Toronto, uh, the Braves massively improved themselves for next season. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I, you know, I saw some people describe this as like a high risk, high reward move. I think the risk is not high. I mean, there is some opportunity cost to spending $23 million on Donaldson if he just isn't very good or can't stay healthy. But I don't really associate that with risk. Like, it's a one year deal. One year deals by nature are not particularly risky. And the money doesn't matter as much as people want to say that it does. I understand it might preclude you from doing something else. Um, later on in the winter, but at the same time, 
you know Donaldson, as you guys both just said, is an elite hitter when he's when he, when he's right. Uh, he may not be right ever again. That's uh, that's a possibility. I will say that you know he turns 33 in December. Um, you know Steamer loves him this year, for instance. Like uh, this is projection system, uh, they have about a 131 WRC plus with almost five wins above above replacement, only 130 games. Um, if that's the case or anything like that, it's obviously a huge home run um, for the Braves and. You know, the third base and infield stuff is where we'll go now. But just before we get to that, you know, the contract itself in a vacuum is a good one. I think that's kind of honestly a pretty much a, pretty much a no-brainer. I, I, there is, again, some risk that he doesn't live up to that. But if he doesn't, it's a one-year it's a one-year lull that you just invested in. Um, I would rather pay him one year and $23 million than, honestly... It's almost better than having like two years and thirty million. Like it's like, you know what I mean? Like I know you're paying yeah. him a lot more, a lot more annually, but there's just there's nothing for the future that's of any risk. If he if he's great this year, he's gonna, he's gonna hit the market and probably leave, but that's fine. Like you're because you're now playing as a you know quote unquote contender. The Braves don't. I mean the future does matter, but they're trying to win the World Series in 2019. Like it's not. A singular goal, but it is in terms of the season. That's that's now the goal every year. As long as you're going to be good, as you try to win the World Series, and you know, there's no reason that you wouldn't take this deal. I mean, if you're the Braves, this is available to you. I think all three of us, if we knew this was available, we all would have signed off on it even before it happened. Um, just judging by the way that you guys are both talking about it, I know I would have. I mean, I, if you told me that, honestly, if you told me it was thirty million dollars for one year, I would I would do it. The money doesn't matter as much as the duration for me like one year and 30 would have sounded even even crazier but i still would have done it if that was the only option honestly i still would do that mm. yeah i yeah. think i think looking around too and you touched on limiting other moves and it does i mean it, it probably eats into close to half of the money the braves had to spend this winter uh which is significant but as we said and, and again we'll talk more about kind of what's left this offseason now that that they've signed Donaldson McCann I think they do still have some money and, and again they didn't have to unload any prospects to get Donaldson I think that's the main thing they still have all their their assets in, in within the farm and if they do want to go out and make another splash they have that flexibility uh, and I you know knowing Anthopolis I think this is uh, obviously a big day for him but I think he'll have more moves down the road too. Yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning, too, that Donaldson didn't have, like, a qualifying offer attached to him or anything like that, which is why some people were more bullish on him as a free agent target, simply because he has such a high upside without having, like, you don't lose a draft pick, you know, if there's not any, like, accompanying baggage with him. Uh, I do think it's likely, given that he accepted, I think that we all agree that we're a little bit surprised that he took a one-year deal. I think it's likely that some sort of promise was made that they will not offer him a one-year uh, will not offer him a qualifying offer this year i don't think he signs a one-year make good deal with the risk of like having qualifying offer attached to him yeah you know what i mean i think i mean because honestly if, he, if he's good it's a no-brainer offer for the Braves, yeah. so I'm kind of with you. I mean, they they never acknowledge that. I'm pretty sure, but no. that wouldn't like <laughs> blow me away just because of the fact that it's so obvious that if he's good this year, the Braves would auto offer him that. Like it's not even a decision. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's, that's not for to say, less. <laughs> that's not to say that he is for sure gone after the season. If he's good, sure. the Braves are going to try to extend him. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're going to try. Uh, how many years and stuff? That that that's for a conversation for far farther down the road. We'll actually know what he looks like. But one thing to keep in mind with this amount of money is that the Braves paid Adrian Gonzalez $21 million to not play baseball for them this year. Right. Um, I mean, and the, I, people just make too much I mean, of the money. It's just, it doesn't yeah. matter that much. It doesn't. Yeah. 
Yeah, for $2 million more million, you get Josh Donaldson, who actually plays baseball and plays it well, versus Adrian Don- Gonzalez, who doesn't play it well anymore and didn't play it for the Braves last year. So it's kind of like, you know, it's not like you're like replacing Marquecas with Donaldson and you're kind of hoping that Donaldson stays healthy and all that stuff. It's more you're getting you're getting value for your money that now that you did not get last year in a year where you won 90 games, you know, and you yeah, and you, you made the good. playoffs. I mean, let's <laughs> and, and it seems better. Know. Yeah, it is. And <laughs> let's let's pivot to the big the big con- if there is such a thing as controversy of this deal. I don't think anybody that is around the league. I think if you saw even non-breast people, like basically people that cover the sport, almost everyone that I saw, I think everyone that I saw that covers the sport regularly gave a thumbs up to, for the Braves on this deal. Like everyone kind of, a, kind of everyone kind of sees what we, what we see in terms of there's not a lot of risk. There's a lot of upside. If it doesn't work, then so be it. But the one talking point that was kind of out there from Braves fans after this deal was made was about the infield and specifically on Camargo. So let's, let's go to that. Um, you know, the three of us talked in different segments, whether it be two of us at a time or all three of us at a time during the playoffs, especially about depth. And, you know, I used the Dodgers as an example today. I think Scott did too. I, I think we probably all did on Twitter um, of a team that had, you know, 12 quality position players and the Braves just didn't have that. Um, so there's this notion that Camargo is now quote benched or that Swanson is now benched if, because they're going to put Camargo at shortstop. My thing would be, that's not the case at all. There's an obvious path for Camargo as a super utility player to get 500 plate appearances. You can play him every time Donaldson doesn't play at third base. You can play him some at shortstop. You can play him at second base. You can even play him in the corner outfield if you want to do that. Whereas, same for Swanson. If, if for some reason they think that Camargo is better than Swanson, that wouldn't blow me away at all. And then you have Swanson as like your defensive ace and kind of weirdness like that. If you look at the, be- if you look at the best teams in the league recently – whether it be the Cubs or the Dodgers or even the Red Sox and the Astros, these teams have guys on their bench that are full-time players. You know, Marwin Gonzalez has been a popular comparison for Jan Camargo. Guys, you know, uh, you know, if you want to have a Braves one, Martin Prado. Prime Martin Prado is a good comparison for Jan Camargo. Guys who are good enough to start somewhere in a lot of places, but they don't have to be, you know, every single day third baseman starter. So, with all that said, we I think we kind of assume Donaldson's going to be the starting third, third baseman whenever he's whenever he's healthy. I don't I don't think he's going to play 162 this year. I mean maybe something like 130. Um, even with some even even with health, he might have some some pretty frequent off days for him. But how does the rest of this work out? I mean that, that's sort of a long preamble for me. But I'll go, I guess I'll go to Scott first here. How is this supposed to work out for Camargo? Is it is it more shortstop time or is he does he just become a utility guy? I think I mean, we're obviously guessing here, but how's what's the best way to handle this moving forward? Yeah, assuming no one like, you know, Dansby or Ozzy or whoever gets traded, which I don't think is going to necessarily happen. I think I can't imagine the Braves have trouble finding time for Johan. And the, the as as we've said, the phrase we have too many good players has never, ever been mentioned in, in Major League Baseball. I mean, again, you think back to two months ago with, with the Dodgers when I think game one they had Chris Taylor uh, Puig and Brian Dozier on their bench. I mean, that that's insane. Those guys start for probably 90% of everybody else around baseball, and they're on the Dodgers bench. Uh, so there, there's no problem at all having a guy like Johan. If anything, he's probably best suited for a super utility role. Um, it's interesting, as we've been recording, Joel Sherman of the New York Post uh, was tweeting, and, and he's pretty locked in, especially to the Braves. And he said that the Braves really now view Camargo as their Marwin Gonzalez. And you think of the impact... 
uh, Marwin has had on the Astros and his ability to play basically everywhere on the field except catcher uh, and maybe center field. And I, I think that's, at least according to Sherman, with the folks he's talked to, and again, he's somebody who has broken uh, Braves news before and is, knows folks within the organization to give him good information that their plan is to play him at second base if needed, shortstop, uh, third, uh, maybe even work him in at first base a little bit. Some of the corner outfielders or corner outfield spots, which he has a little bit of experience in. And again, you think about Marvin Gonzalez and his impact, and a guy who's probably going to get uh, an eight-figure uh, pay uh, salary here uh, moving forward. I'm not necessarily saying that Camargo is going to be quite to to Marwin's level, but there's value in that. We saw how does, valuable. Does that sound was. familiar? By the way, Scott, does that sound like a player that we've been talking about for like I don't know two years now? Yeah, weird. Yeah, just a little bit bizarre. Yeah. So sorry. Um, no, absolutely. <laughs> so I think it's. I, I think it's a. It's. It gives the Braves flexibility. And again, if if Donaldson, at his age with his health concerns, he's probably not going to play 162 next year. Uh, Dansby Swanson has had, I think, three unrelated injuries in his first two and a half years in the majors. Um, you know, what if what if Ozzy's second half of 2018 is more the player he is moving forward than? than the first half he was in 2018. I don't I don't think that's necessarily going to happen, but you never know. So it's good to have options, especially cheap options like Camargo and a guy who can play all over. So it, it only is going to benefit the Braves and, and allow them to open things up even more. I mean, I agree with Scott. I mean, other than, I mean, because, and Scott touched on both of these, not only is it Don- Donaldson's durability issues, but Dansby just had wrist surgery and he's had wrist issues and, you know, overall ineffectiveness issues for the last couple of years. I was going to say, you know, he hasn't have, hit. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, and Ozzy's had his issues. Let me put it this way, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll just ask Scott, who would you rather have against a tough righty right now batting, Dansby or Johan? Johan. Oh, Camargo. Yeah, not close. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And with Ozzy, same thing. Who would you rather help, help play uh, with a tough righty on the ball, yo, on, the, on the mound, Johan or Ozzy? Uh... uh... That one's that one's well, closer probably, for me. I mean, also. probably you. I mean, if it was a lefty, I don't know. Johan yeah, hits lefties a, better uh, too. But yeah, for well, righty, but, 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 but Ozzy rakes as a as a right-handed batter. You know what I mean? Right. I guess my my point is is if you have situations where not only is there an injury concern, but there's also matchups you can play because Johan's a switch hitter and he can hit both pretty well. You know, mm. it's it's like you if there's like I mean, Ozzy has kind of Ozzy's a little bit different in the sense that he some lefties sees better against than others. Or righties rather, or he's better than against than others, and kind of how they pitch will come into it. But there's going to be times where you don't want Dansby batting for you unless he makes big changes, or he can prove he can be he- and he proves he can be healthy. In which case, you have a ready-made ex- ready-made replacement right there on your roster. Plus, you can spell Donaldson the, the you know the one game a week or whatever you need to to dispel him in order to kind of you know preserve him throughout the course of a season just to make sure that he's healthy. I I, I think people are getting so caught up in just like what that you know the the, the ongoing joke is that everyday third baseman Johan Camargo when in reality yes he could be your everyday third baseman and I think that if the Braves entered the 2019 season with Camargo as their everyday third baseman I don't think any of us would be like super upset about that but what we all we all said that (laughs) yeah (laughs) but well and people unfortunately don't listen to that part what we're saying is that he is a unique skill set that is a switch hitting guy who can play like six different positions on the field you should use that if you're wanting to be a World Series contender. Not just a team that like wins a division title here and there. If you want to win titles in this league, you have to have a roster full of guys that can play all over the field and play them well. It's just how the game is played now. 
you know, it's 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 about having a a, a very like a very robust bullpen, and it's about having able to play matchups and use all this data that exists right now to take advantage of it. And you can't do that when you only have four guys on your in your lineup that can hit. And if you have a, a roster that has guys like Johan Camargo in it, you can play matchups and you can get the most out of your your rosters on a day to day basis. And that's I mean, I, I guess my my overall point is that. This move today bolstered the Graves bench because presumably Camargo is going to kind of turn into this super utility player and made the team much better overall. And I think people are kind of getting lost in the, well, you know, Camargo was only, you know, was really good last year. You lose his production. You don't lose his production because he's going to get four or 500 at bats next year. It's just going to happen. Yeah, he's going to, I mean, by nature of having Donaldson, I think Camargo, barring an injury somewhere else, is going to play less than he did last year. But I think, he's, as you mentioned, 500 player appearances is a pretty reasonable baseline, provided that Snicker deploys him in a way that the top teams deploy their utility guys, whether it be Marvin Gonzalez or you know Javier Baez is like the elite, elite, elite example of this. But guys who can play everywhere, and it's um, that's a spot where Camargo, if he hits, they're gonna, they're going to have him in the lineup. It's not really a um, a cause for concern about Camargo at all. And honestly, something that we should at least point out, I think we, we sort of mentioned it in passing there. If Swanson struggles as badly as he did again in year three, you could see Camargo go into maybe not a full-time every single day shortstop role, but that's a spot where he might have a short leash now. I'm talking about Swanson. He might have a if he doesn't hit um, now that Camargo is not playing third every day, it might place a little bit of pressure on Swanson inadvertently, just because I, I'm a, I'm someone who appreciates his defense to a level where he basically. Just has to hit a little bit to stay in the lineup. But if he doesn't hit a little bit, they might they now have an option with Camargo, especially against right-handed pitching. You could just platoon. You can have a straight platoon there. Like you can get creative now in a way. And I'm not the biggest fan of you know the way that he's been managed at all times. But if Snicker is on board with this, and I think he almost certainly has to have a talk now with Anthopoulos, even before this move ha- happens, to kind of say, all right, this is this is our vision. This is our vision for what what Camargo is going to have to be, and you have to implement it. Um, if that all happens and we see Camargo used in the way that guys like Marvin Gonzalez are used, then this makes everybody better, like across the board. Like give, give, even if it's just, if, even if it's just giving the guys days off, and Camargo, I think can play the outfield. Like I wouldn't play him there all the time, but if he can be your fifth outfielder, your fourth outfielder, that's fine too. Like he can't, he can't play center, but because he's not very fast. But if you stick him in left field with with, with his arm. He'd be fine. Like I'm pretty confident in that. So just being able to play everywhere is so. There's so much value in that. We've said it for a long time, but I think now it seems like the Braves agree with what we've been saying for you know a year and a half now about Camargo, which doesn't like make us right. It's just a situation where we're not crazy, and we've been saying this for a while. And it, 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 it well, just well makes let's so much not sense. jump to conclusions. In this particular case, we're not crazy. That's true. <laughs> we're not put, in, in this particular case. I mean, the other the other factor. There, I guess there's two other factors we haven't we haven't touched on yet. One of which is Austin Riley, and the other one is sort of a bigger, multifaceted one that has to do with the rest of the offseason. So, before we get to that, um, does this matter to Austin Riley for anybody? Like, there's this, there's a lot of questions about Riley and whether he can go to the corner outfield or whether this just like delays him a year. I mean, Eric, you're the prospect guru. What do you think about Riley A going into the outfield potentially? And B, is there any crime on him not being on the roster this year? Well, I don't think there's a crime, and I don't think it makes any difference at all because before before 12 hours ago, Johan Camargo was the Braves' everyday third baseman, and and Austin Riley wasn't going to push him off of that, assuming that you know Dansby Swanson was still going to be on the roster and you couldn't move him over. So 
Austin Austin had a, a weird year in 2018 because he showed a lot of power and he showed a lot of improvement defensively, but then he had that knee injury and he lost a bunch of at-bats. I don't think he was going to be pushing for playing time early in the season anyway. You know, give him another year at AAA. He's still very young. And in a worst-case – well, I say the worst-case scenario. In the scenario where he's still with the organization and in AAA, giving him a year at AAA is not the end of the world. And it happens a lot with prospects like him, especially those that have, like, struggled with, you know, st- you know strikes out, like strikeouts and, you know, learning how to recognize pitches and how p- pitchers are going to pitch to him as a power hitter and how to continue to get value and improving defensively, too. If that's the worst-case scenario for Austin, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. He's not being blocked forever. We've seen guys get blocked for two or three years – who should have been on their major league teams rosters, but you know they either had a guy that was under like a contract that made it where they kind of felt like they had to play him, um, et cetera, et cetera. And you know I don't think he's any more or less expendable, but I also think you're going to see Austin's come, name come up in a lot of trade talks because the Braves have Camargo and now they have Donaldson, where you know they can at least explore the idea of moving him as a part of a package to fill another need. And that doesn't say that's not to say that they don't like Riley, or even that I don't like Riley. In fact, I. I like him a lot as a prospect, and I've been higher on him than most for a long time. But I also understand that when you have when you have needs met on the major league roster and others that are not, ultimately he's still a prospect. And if you can find a team that's a match for you that has something that can help you this year or the next couple years, and they are interested in a guy like Austin Riley, you have to at least explore that. I think go, going back to the beginning of what we were saying, and, and I promise I'll let Scott talk. Um, Austin Riley, I mean, it's a one-year deal for Josh Donaldson, so that isn't like he's, it's not like Austin Riley's blocked now, you know what I mean? They didn't go out and get Manny Machado, like, they went out and got a one-year, you know, a, a high-end stopgap, but it's still a stopgap in Donaldson, like, I, I don't think Donaldson's going to be around in the long term, Maybe, I mean, there's not, it, there's not a 0% chance of that, but he's always signed for one year, so, I mean, it's not like Riley's blocked, it's my whole thing, like, just because he's not going to maybe arrive as early as some thought he might doesn't mean that there's anything wrong here, they don't have to trade him, they don't have to move him, I just think that it's pretty natural, and I think the fan base already has seen that, to now at least speculate on that he might be moved, or something like that, I don't think it's urgent by any means, maybe he's just around, and kills it in AAA, and comes up in 2020, and starts off there, but, I mean, what do you, what do you think, Scott, is this, you know, is this, like, a big concern for you, it's not really for me, but it's just, it's, it's, it's always something to talk about. Yeah, no, I, I think you guys nailed it, I mean, ha- giving Riley another year, he's been around for a while now, so it feels like he's maybe in his mid-20s, but he's still a young guy for, for the, le- the level that he's in, uh, 2018 was not, I guess, the, the best case scenario for Riley's development. He, he struggled a little bit, had the injury, uh, didn't adapt super well to AAA pitching, and as as Eric said, another year to really learn the strike zone and continue improving, uh, improving his game defensively. All those things are only going to help him as as he continues to to grow as a player. So it does buy him another year. Uh, and and if the Braves do want to trade him, then they can feel. I guess confident that they at least know for 2019 they have Donaldson um, next year's free agent class two, which is again way down the road at third base is really good. You have Arenado uh, and Rendon there, uh, so again it's just it kind of leaves the Braves' options open. I know Anthopoulos early in the offseason talked about not wanting to commit to a you know an eight or ten year deal, which is what it would probably take to get a, a Harper or Machado, and that's just because you're locking in not only the money but uh, just the position, and, and we saw. Uh, how having players with multiple years of control can sometimes it's a benefit if it's a, if it's a team friendly deal, but it can also really be a hindrance on your flexibility to make moves. So 
I, I don't think it really impacts Riley too much. He's somebody who I think makes sense to trade if, if the Braves are going to swing a deal for uh, for a pitcher or even for an outfielder. Um, but I don't think by any means this the signing today of Donaldson means, uh, yes, absolutely, Riley's gone. I think it just gives the Braves, again, some flexibility and, and the ability to feel comfortable with whatever they decide to do moving forward. Okay, so the, the other big thing here is what happens now? Because we'll, we'll get to McCann and Catcher later. We'll just put that to the side for now. But there's still an obvious hole on this roster. It's right, it's a corner outfield spot, whether that be left or right field, depending on where Ronald Acuna plays. The Braves spent a bunch of money today on Donaldson. They still have plenty of money to play with, you know, probably 30 plus million to play with. And that's even before like a potential deal to shed Julio Tehran's 10, 11 million dollar salary. Like there's some, there's still some real money available for the Braves if they, if they want to spend it. With that said, they have to do something in the outfield at some point because Marquez isn't isn't back. Even if it was just Marquez, which I would not exactly approve of, they have to do something. They have to they have to make a move of some sort in the outfield. So, a, how does this affect that? And b, what do they do now? Like I, I would argue they probably need to lean left-handed in that spot because they now have some pretty heavy right-handed emphasis at certain spots in the lineup. But I mean, all things all things equal, they just need to have a, another quality bat. Obviously, Donaldson helps, and now you have a pretty impressive trio with Acuna, Freeman, and Donaldson. But having that become a quartet would be very nice if they get a top ten player in the corner outfield spot. I'm not really sure who that is, whether it's a trade guy or it's a um, a signing guy. But I mean, what's the big domino to fall? Like, are you worried they won't have enough money, et cetera, et cetera? So, I guess Scott, where does that leave you in terms of what the Braves do now? Like, how does this affect their next step in the outfield and all that stuff? I think to me it's one, and this is kind of the captain obvious statement, but I think you just prioritize getting the best player possible. Um, I agree that if they're only going to get one, that he should be left-handed instead of right-handed. If you're looking at the lineup right now, it's pretty easy to slot that that outfield bat into the fifth spot if you assume uh, the top four is going to be Acuna, um, Albies, Freeman, and Donaldson in some way. So a left-handed Outfielder does make sense. I'm a big fan of David Peralta out here in Arizona. Makes sense. Michael Brantley is someone the Braves have been connected to in free agency. Um, you know, if if they're not going to be able to get a, a legitimate star in the outfield, Mitch Hanniger is the name that has come up a bit over the last couple weeks. Who knows if Seattle's actually going to trade him or not? You know, if, if you have an opportunity to get Mitch Hanniger at, at the right cost, you have to jump on it. Um, if they don't, I, I'm kind of leaning towards actually getting two outfielders. Um, and, and the Braves kind of did this last year with Adam Duvall. Obviously, that didn't work, and, and I don't think they're necessarily going to bring him back. Um, but if if they could do something like, a say, a trade for David Peralta and, and then trade for maybe a Hunter Renfro, uh, again, you I think ideally you want to have four outfielders that you're pretty confident win, with uh, and that you can play at, at any given point. It's something the Dodgers do. It's something the uh, it's something the Cubs do. It's basically all the good teams in baseball now have four good outfielders that they could rely on for 162 games if they need to. Uh, when you start looking at Peralta uh, with his sprit- splits, if you're going to get a left-handed hitter who's much better against righties, I think it makes sense to balance. Um, and we all know that that Ender is uh, probably a little better facing more right-handed pitching than left-handed pitching. So <laughs> that's very uh, very kind of you. Uh, <laughs> as friends pro- of the as friends of the podcast would know, yes. Uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's all uh, very interesting because I mean I haven't really thought about them getting two more guys, but I guess it's not not impossible. I mean I guess this the overarching theme is that they have to plug that hole in some way. I do think that Camargo may be an option um, in a corner outfield spot, but I think he's not. Like, in what you're saying there, if you don't have 
that like real solid everyday third outfielder. I don't think I want him as like half of half of a platoon in the outfield because a you don't know how he's going to adjust at the outfield, and b you know that kind of takes away from his value a little bit elsewhere. So, I'm you know obviously preferably it'd be better to just have that like everyday guy in the outfield, whether that be for I mean I'm of the mind where trade is almost better than signing. I, I do think that, you know, Brantley does make some sense, but aside from that, there aren't that, ob- I mean, Harper is not probably going to happen. So it's not like there's an obvious name. I, I've long thought that trade was more likely to fill that spot than signing, but I also, I also don't, well, I mean, Hanniger is the obvious one because he's already been linked in some way, but it's kind of tough to figure out who that player is. Peralta makes some sense, but he's not, he's not sexy. I mean, he's a good player, but he's not this like, blow you away option Eric what do you what do you think about the outfield I mean is there anything that we're not seeing here because it's it's complicated but we all know they have to do something that's kind of the weird thing now is like we're I, I know we're all all three of us are all, all asked individually all the time about the outfield and it's like what are they going to do it's uh something they have to do something I just don't know what's going to be well I mean I agree with you guys just to start with that I mean because of the because of you signed Donaldson Bryce Harper I mean we, all, there was a lot of those that they kind of the dreamers out there that thought that could happen, and I thought they would at least have a chance of like being in that market for him. But I, I think that 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 ship has sailed. I think that that would be just too much of an investment between investing in two players for 2019 that would require that much money. Uh, if they do sign Harper, then you know all bets are off in terms of spending and things like that because they clearly they don't care as much about the payroll as some of us thought we some of us thought they did. Um, I think if they sign a player, it's going to be Brantley. Uh, he, he, his splits are fine. I mean, he's not as good against lefties, but he kind of fits that left-handed bat. bat uh, had a bounce-back year. I don't think he's going to be super expensive either. I think something like the thirteen to fifteen million dollar like annual value, like you know, like a three-year deal, something like forty forty-five million dollars, sounds about right in terms of what he'll end up getting. Um, he's going to have a he's going to have a market, but he also has to kind of. I mean, he was really good last year, but we're talking about another guy that's been had some real injury issues and ones that have lingered longer than. You know the Josh Donaldsons and other players that are on the market right now. Um, I don't think AJ Pollock's necessarily a great fit either. I think he's going to end up making a good bit of money, and that, again, having that qualifying offer is going to be kind of something that the Braves are going to look at and maybe not be as super keen on. Um, I like the Peralta idea. Uh, I wish he could hit. <laughs> I wish he could hit lefties, um, but. Mitch Hanniger is an interesting thing for me because I just don't believe Jerry Depoto at all when he says that he's not willing to trade a player. Oh, he can, um, he he can he, and would trade him. That's yes, his sure. heroin. He yeah, loves he, trades. Oh, it's it's unreal. Like you know, like I would love to have seen his face when he said that because they're like he clearly does not have a poker face about such things. I think well, he would the, trade the Han- the Hanniger Diaz combo is like the one that Braves fans keep salivating over, which I understand, but. That that seems a little bit aggressive to get both of those guys. I mean, it's not impossible, but um, yeah, Jerry does do some stuff. So yeah, I'd be okay. the one the, the one caveat is that Hanniger's right-handed, but I'm okay with that because he's just he's good and cheap. So well, sure. that's just it, right? Like you know, you you accept the fact that maybe you don't have. And keep in mind, I mean, the Braves have multiple switch hitting bats in their lineup right now. Where if, like if it, if it came down to you prefer having a lefty in the fifth spot. You know, you can move the lineup around a little bit. It might be a little bit atypical, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. I agree. Can... It's not. It's not the end of the world. If they have to get a right-handed bat in the outfield. It's it's yeah. fine, honestly. Um, I, and the idea of having slotting Hanniger in the lineup that currently exists for the Braves, I have to admit, is something to get excited about. But 
I, ultimately, I think it's I think it's going to end up being Brantley, um, if unless he gets some crazy offer from another team. Um, other, if it's not him, I just don't see it being a free agent signing at all. And I, I I'm with you guys, and it might just be like a, a name that comes out of nowhere that the Braves trade for. Um, I like Scott's idea of having getting multiple outfielders. I just don't know if necessarily it's hard for me to envision that scenario simply because when you're talking about two players like that, that would fit that mold to have like multiple pretty decent players. Uh, obviously you have Acuna who's great. Uh, Ender who can play defense and, you know, has had moments offensively, but for a large part hasn't been particularly great. Uh, I feel like getting two players that would be offensive pluses. I'm not sure exactly how that would look in terms of what the Braves have to give up either from their payroll or, for prospects to actually get those types of players because that's kind of like a weird that's a weird market to be in like you're good but you're not quite good enough to be you know an everyday player you know what I mean so I'm just not sure exactly what that would look like in terms of what players I would be after um Peralta is kind of towards that end but I don't think Peralta is gonna be cheap at all to get in trade I just don't he probably won't be I mean that's just I mean Scott Scott probably was no better because he's he's around there but um I've always liked him it's just it's a tough sell because you know you have to kind of go around his weaknesses, and yeah. unless you I mean, just love somebody yeah. else, it's it's tough to do. You, you you have to do multiple moves, and that's always makes it more difficult. Yeah, and the trade off. I mean, he just Adam Duvall though. Wait, Adam Duvall, <laughs> slot him in. We he tried just, this already. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, hey, the the process for that move, as we I think all agreed, was I still the right like one. it. Yep, just I agree. the the fall off a cliff factor and, and you can't really predict stuff like that in baseball. Just for whatever reason, he decided he wanted to be one of the worst players in baseball the final two months after the trade. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you can fault the Braves' front office for a guy who had been a pretty steady. I mean, everyone knew who Adam Duvall was and then he decided to fall off a cliff. So I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I still believe Adam Duvall. In fact, if they bring him back, I will defend it. But uh yeah, I don't think I don't think you can plan on him being like a legit half of a half of a, a platoon right now, given the way that he handled that particular situation last year. So, um, with all that said, I mean anything that we haven't covered just yet on that before we get to McCann. I know we've we said a lot. We're forty minutes in about one move, but that's kind of the nature of what happens when you sign a guy for big money that's like a former MVP. Um, but anything we haven't said that needs to be said, I think I'm I'm all out of takes for now. But open the floor to either one of you if you have something else to, to be said before before we get to McCann. It's a lot of money. It's not a lot of money over a lot of years. You should be happy. He's really good. The team's a lot better today. I agree. <laughs> well said, well said, gentlemen. Uh, all right, let's go. Let's go to Brian McCann. Who Brian McCann is like a Braves legend. Literally, I use that term um, always, sort of jokingly, but um, Brian McCann actually is a Braves legend. He would probably have. I mean, he might he might have his number retired. He's like that good, I think, in Braves history, considering he had all the All Star appearances he had, et cetera, et cetera. He he definitely will be a Braves Hall of Famer if nothing else, um, for the um, organization. But he's back, uh, one year, two million dollars. That um that bit of information made this move even better than I thought it was going to be. I was actually already on board with this to an extent even before it came out. But that's basically as cheap as someone can be. That's a veteran. Um. And he's a backup catcher. He's not great anymore by any means. He's not a, you know, last year he wasn't very good. Um, but I think the big question is whether you're okay um, with the Braves not going after a big fish at, at catcher. That's how basically this is being framed is if, if you're okay with that, you're probably okay with this move. And if you're not okay with that, you're not, which I understand. I'm on record and have said this multiple times in this particular space that I'm not a big fan of spending big on catcher, whether that be money or prospect capital. 
And as a result of that, you know, McCann for basically like a league minimum ish contract is fine for me, but it also makes catcher not sexy at all. So I'll say, I'll say all of that. We'll go, we'll go to Eric first. Eric, what was your reaction to the McCann moves and are you okay with it? Or is it something that you're like left wanting more like a lot of fans are? Uh, I'm totally fine with it, honestly. I mean, it's not it's not a lot of money, and ultimately, like the catchers that I was enamored with, um, like came down to Real Muto, where the Marlins just very clearly are just not willing to be reasonable in how they conduct that market because they got burned badly last off season, you know, in some of their trades. I mean, you trade away Christian Yelich, and you don't get you don't even really get a top 100 guy back in that deal. <laughs> and you know he goes on to win the MVP. Now they're wanting to try to get the get the moon for Real Muto and ask for and have an even higher price than like it, it, at least according to some people the price is even higher than it was last year uh, when they were trying, when people were, teams were trying to acquire him. You know it and and they don't want to trade him in the division either. So it was just once that all that started start coming out, I was just like you know what you can only do so much at catcher because there's so there are so few really really good ones. Um, and the ones that are available, that list becomes much, much shorter. You're always going to have, there's always going to be either an offensive pitfall or, you know, a guy can't really, isn't really particularly good defensively. In McCann, you have a guy that knows how to manage a pitching staff, um, has kind of like a, a leadership quality, which again, we kind of, you know, in some, in some respects, we, you know, make fun of when people talk about, you know, like he's a great clubhouse guy and all that other stuff. But in, in McCann's case, like he knows how to shepherd young players through a long season and has, a, a wealth of knowledge to teach a young pitching staff, which would probably it's probably gonna end up getting younger next year. Where having two guys like Flowers and McCann to kind of work them through that, who can be good defensively to some extent anyway, um, and good framers, that's gonna be helpful for them. Uh, and I think he has some upside because I mean he ultimately he was hurt last year. He was now that doesn't necessarily make me feel particularly great about his dur- durability for the coming season. <laughs> yeah. But I also don't think he's gonna be getting. I don't think he's gonna be getting like the lion's share of the playing time or anything like that. Uh, I think he'll be fine offensively. I think that having his bat on the bench uh, as a left-handed bat is an interesting one too. When you know when you have Flowers going up there to bat and then you need a lefty bat coming off. I mean, who really feels that badly that Brian McCann comes up to hit in a pinch hitting situation? Whereas, you know, just a year ago we were watching Ryan Flaherty getting regular pinch hitting appearances. It, it's, it's kind of one of those things where the bench continues to be good. Uh, is he as good a hitter as Suzuki is? Probably not. Uh, but for $2 million, you know, you can, there's, a, there's going to be a little bit of trade off. Maybe you don't get as much production offensively from your catching position, but you get real tangible benefits for your pitching staff and for you know kind of your clubhouse overall. And also, like that allows you to you know whether it may make the move for the, make the Donaldson move if one kind of precipitated the other, um, or it allows them to kind of have some more payroll flexibility down the road too. It having filling a hole in this way with a guy that has like real has real value for a team, even if he's not anywhere close to what he used to be, and I don't think he will be. Um, I I think that has value. And as for the nostalgia stuff, I mean, I, I was a big McCann fan when he was here, uh, and having him back in the back in the organization, you know, external from what I have to think objectively in terms of you know doing having these talks with you guys, you know, it's nice having him back just because you know he was a really fun player and was really good for a long time, and it always felt weird that he wasn't a Brave anymore. The sheriff. Um, by the way, we we should we we should we should note that. 
Um, since last time we did that, I did a podcast. Uh, Kurt Suzuki did sign elsewhere for two seasons of guaranteed money, which is important. I saw a lot of fans talking about how like the Braves are like choosing McCann over Suzuki. That's not really true. <laughs> Suzuki signed a two-year contract. I wouldn't have given him two years either, frankly, at his age. So I'm okay with that trade-off. It wasn't a like this or that. Um, I mean, maybe the Braves could have matched that deal for Suzuki, but um, it wasn't like they got the same money in the same years. Uh, Suzuki got more money in more years, so just I'm sort of just heading that off now as uh, as a talking point because Suzuki was obviously better than McCann last year, um, but and might be better than McCann this year. But McCann is cheaper, and it's only a one year commitment, so I'm okay with that. Scott, what do you think about catcher? Um, knowing that with, I mean, I think we've said it a lot of times on this podcast that the Flowers and Suzuki combination worked out fantastically, and I think mm-hmm. the baseline at catcher is so much lower than people want to say that it is. I still think Flowers and McCann can be a league average or better tandem. That's just me. But what do you think about catcher right now uh, as it stands, Scott? I think for the price, you can't really go wrong. I mean, for $2 million, that that's basically nothing. Uh, and, and again, I, I know Eric hit on it, and Anthopolis talked about it today in, in the press conference. And, and again, it's hard to know and quantify in stats just what players mean to the players around them. And, and you can't. Uh, you can't put on the back of a baseball card what you know player X meant to player Y because uh, obviously that's something you just can't measure. But uh, you talk about McCann and he's a player who's uh, you know the proverbial winning player wherever he's gone. He's won um, a World Series. Uh, you know he's he's won a World Series before. He's worked with every kind of pitcher imaginable, young, old, hard throwing, uh, whatever it is. Um, so again, for for two million bucks, you're going to pair him with Tyler Flowers. You're going to pay those two guys a total of $6 million next year. You mentioned Kurt Suzuki, who I, who I believe is going to get uh, $4 million this year and $6 million next year. So it comes out to an average of $5 million. Um, and, and again, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big, I am a big Real Muto fan, but for whatever reason, it, it just didn't seem like Miami was willing to, uh, to move him. And, and as you touched on, paying Yasmani Grandal uh, 12 to $15 million a year, losing the draft pick that was – uh, connected to him. That just didn't seem super realistic. Uh, Wilson Ramos was the one guy who, again, because he wasn't going to cost a draft pick and would probably cost a little bit less uh, in dollars and years than, uh, than Grandal was, was a little more intriguing, though even then he has all of his hamstring and knee issues. You worry about that a bit more. So I'm good with it for, for $6 million bucks combined next year. You can't really go wrong. Um, and it does allow you to have some flexibility uh, to go out and get someone midseason, I think they're I think they're probably going to go into the spring with those two guys. If for some reason McCann or Flowers gets hurt, they could always try to acquire uh, another catcher, whether it be more of a platoon type uh, or or someone better. Um, but overall, I was I was cool with it, and it will be fun to see McCann. I'd imagine 2019 is probably his last season uh, in Major League Baseball, and it'll be cool to see him have spend his last year with the Braves after uh, breaking through and having those special seasons so early in his career. I would encourage anyone that liked that liked the McCann era the first time to go back and watch that press conference that they didn't because uh, it was a nice nostalgia, and I think he was very clear that he took a discount to come back and wants to end his career here. So I think this might be it, as, as Scott just said, which is just worth worth noting in context. The Braves didn't like have a bidding war for Brian McCann. They actually got, they got a discount on him. They basically get him for peanuts, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But there's plenty of flexibility. If, they, if for some reason McCann's just done done and can't play at all anymore. They'll find that out, and they'll move, they'll move on if they have to, and they'll try to win uh, in a different way. But um, if he's just a, a league average backup catcher or better, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
yeah, in today's baseball world, with some of the crazy contracts out there, for two million bucks to get a guy back, even if even if McCann gives you nothing at the plate, and like Eric said, he was hurt a little bit last year, and really before this past season, he was a pretty. I mean, he had uh, WRC pluses of around a hundred in the years before that, so it's not like he's just this guy who hasn't hit in three or four years. But again, even if even if he repeats last year, I think he had an 82 WRC plus, which is not great. Um, I think just what he's going to bring to the young pitchers and the pitching staff. And he talked about, again, in the press conference, everything he learned from John Smoltz and, and Glavin and, and all CC Sabathia in New York. And obviously the Astros have uh, oodles of, of pitching talent right now. Uh, I think that really can pay dividend for for the young pitchers. And um, you it's worth bringing him on for for that cost. He's also had a front row seat to an organization that has a lot of data driven uh, like approaches to baseball and like fast. I'm sh- and he is and he has figured out what information that he likes and doesn't like and if you've watched the Astros pitching staff over the last couple of years they've gotten a lot out of it so it's going to be kind of nice to have a guy who's been around for a long time and is a veteran but has been has been in and succeeded in a situation where there's a lot of data driven analysis but even with the Yankees too so it's just going to be kind of nice to have him on someone else that can be like, I've had this information before. It was very helpful. Go ahead and give it to me. Yeah, BMAC always gets the uh, the jokes, and rightly so, for being like the enforcer of unwritten rules and kind of the absurdity of some of that stuff. But I've always enjoyed him, and I'm from Gwinnett County, so that's where he's from. My, my brother that was actually coaching at Duluth High School where he went to school pretty recently, so we have that, we have that connection. I saw um, for uh, old school race fans that have some uh, – Connections to McCann and Frank Cor. Those guys were tweeting at each other today. Um, Frank Cor was making jokes about how he's going to now have to call McCann games, which is kind of hilarious. Um, so <laughs> there's a I lot of uh, yeah, some good stories there in the booth. A lot, a lot of synergy there, and those guys have known each other for a long time. So it should be fun, man. I mean, that's for, it, there was a reason we said we said that one for last. It's much, much less consequential um, for obvious reasons because you know we all said it, but if McCann doesn't work out, they can just move on. Um, but I think it's going to work. I think it'll be okay. He's not going to be great. He's not going to be Brian McCann, five-time all-star or whatever he is, but he's a, I think he's capable of being fine, which is all that the Braves need from that spot. Anyway, by the way, steamer projections have him for a 1.2, um, F4, which is just fine. in 75 games, 91 WRC plus. If he, if he can just do that and kind of be around that, that spot, then uh, sign me up. One, one more thing to hit on real quick. Do you think that Flowers plays more often now than he was before? Like, I think he's clearly mm. better than McCann, but like, is do they go to like a sixty-five thirty-five split? Like, how do they? How do you think that? How do you think that they, that they actually decide to treat that? Is it like a, you know, you can't really do a pure platoon when McCann's the lefty and he's not as good as Flowers, and Flowers is kind of a weird player too. So how, how does that work itself out? Yeah, I think it'll be pretty close to 50-50 personally, maybe 60-40. But again, with, with the Atlanta Heat, sometimes it might just be which guy's feeling better that day. If if you have a situation where Flowers catches 14 innings one night uh, you know, on a day game, maybe he sits two nights in a row and McCann plays or vice versa. I, I think it'll be fairly close to being an even split. Yeah, I think, I think so too. I also think, at least to start the season, and you kind of just figure out what, and then you just kind of see how the guys are going. If you know, McCann's feeling really good and healthy and he's actually hitting again, you know, he might end up just being a better player than Flowers, in which case, you know, maybe Flowers gets less playing time, but vice versa. I mean, we've, we have we have seen Flowers have good offensive seasons. I think ultimately the Braves are just going to kind of see how the guys play. I mean, I think they're both going to get playing time. I don't think no, one, no one's going to be getting like an 80% top playing share between those two. Um, 
I think it'll start off as like 50-50 and then we'll just kind of see how it goes, which pitchers work better with which catchers and, you know, yeah, and things like it. things like that. I think things like that are going to matter, but I how the play time split, I mean, I think it's going to vary um just depending on how the guys are playing, how the guys are feeling uh and kind of how they're ultimately how they're playing cuz these are two older catchers, you know, they're not, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not like Flowers is in his 20s or anything like that, you know, and you know, just hitting his prime and just trying to figure find his way in the league. He's been around for a long time, so you just kind of see who's 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 playing and who's playing well, and you know the situation dictates what will happen. Uh, I think Scott's right. I, I think at least it starts fifty fifty, and it could change from there. Yeah, that sounds about right on all counts. Um, okay, I think I'm out of takes and my voice is out of juice, but. Uh, anything that you guys want to add to what we've said before, you know, 50, 52 minutes and counting of podcasting on two transactions. So, uh, and nice, it's nice to have, nice to have both of you on the podcast together, even, even if it takes <laughs> an emergency podcast to do it. So I, I, I'm always down to talk with Scott. Scott, it's always fun talking with him. <laughs> there was, listen, um, there was a, there was a brief moment where I was going to just like be here, press the record button and let you guys do it on your own. But I thought I might just want to get some takes off. So here we are. Um, I mean, hey, it's a fun day. I mean, it is. Yeah. And everyone here, anyone who's watched the Braves over the last, you know, five years knows there's been a lot of bad days for the organization. A lot of losses. A yes. uh, lot of instead of trading and signing free agents, you're you're trading away Jason Hayward and Justin Upton and Kimbrel, and you know, the list goes on and on and on. So uh, it's you have to appreciate the fun days, and it's it's why you rebuild. It's why you go through three or four years of of bad times to have a good season like 2018 was, and then be in a position to spend and improve your team. And I think it's pretty clear the Braves pretty dramatically improved their team today. Yeah, and I think that there's more improvements coming. I mean, they have not traded a single prospect this offseason. If you have told me that the first moves the Braves were going to make were on the free agent market this offseason, I would have bet money that that was going to be wrong. So there's still moves to be made. Um, It's worth mentioning that Ricardo Sanchez and Adam McCreary were DFA'd to make room for both of these guys. Ricardo, it was a, partic- a pretty good pitching prospect. Hasn't looked particularly good as of late. Has been injured and has 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 kind of struggled to kind of make it out of the lower minors and with command issues and a bunch of other stuff. Um, so he's likely to make it through waivers. Adam McCreary, it's a little bit dicier because he had a good Arizona Fall League and he's a pretty good relief prospect. And the Braves just like just as pe- not just this past offseason protected him on the forty man roster because they thought he would get claimed in the Rule Five draft. And I wouldn't be shocked. If you know someone tried to snatch him up off waivers, or or and he ended up not being with the club next year, but that that one's more iffy. But Ricardo is very likely to stay with the Braves, I would imagine. And that's why Eric is uh, paid the big bucks right there. <laughs> that's it, because I, I had I had I have nothing on Adam McCreary or Ricardo Sanchez. So just to be just to be candid at the end of this podcast, I have nothing on those <laughs> guys. So shouts to Eric for knowing uh, all those things as he always does. Um, yeah, good day for the Braves, honestly. I mean, Donaldson, there's a pretty wide range. I mean, there's a scenario where he's not great and gets hurt or whatever, but there's also a scenario where he's like a six-win player and is awesome. So that's a that's a fun hypothetical. Like, I have been dreaming a bit about um, what a lineup looks like with Acuna, Freeman, and Donaldson going at full steam. That's pretty, uh, pretty fun. They need a leadoff hitter. If they can get a leadoff, and that's why I think going back to Brantley and not to keep this podcast going for another hour. It's but- okay. If they can find it with that outfield spot, a legitimate leadoff guy, uh, whoever that may be, I think if if you go leadoff hitter and then Acuna, uh, Freeman and Donaldson, 
that is what two, I would. Three, four, that, 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 that is what I would. Pretty. That's what I would do as well. Yeah, that's that is the way to go. I, I um, just because you know, I know Acuna was great in the leadoff spot. I don't think that he is a prototypical leadoff hitter. I think he needs to be hitting second. Yeah. Um, I would be hitting Freeman second, but that's a whole other ball of wax. Um, <laughs> but yeah, regardless, they they need one more guy. I mean. Albies isn't that right now, at least in the traditional sense. He looks like a leadoff hitter. He runs like a leadoff hitter, but he doesn't hit. He doesn't actually hit like one, <laughs> or walk like one. We should say. So yeah. Uh, yeah, getting one more guy would be helpful. Um, and whenever they sign someone or trade for someone in the outfield, we'll be here. Or make you know, I'm sure they're going to do something in the pitching staff as well. Um, this is not supposed to be a podcast week, but when they make two big moves on a Monday, here we are. So here we are. Th- Thanks for listening yeah. to the podcast, everybody. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe to the pod. That'd be huge. Um, for moments like this, when I can't like announce that we're doing a podcast anymore except for Twitter, um, you guys will get the podcast in your feed immediately if you if you subscribe. So go ahead and do that. Um, Scott, Eric, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Please follow these gentlemen. Scott Colin fifty five on Twitter, I believe, and then Leprechaun for Eric. That's accurate, I think, boys. Um, yep. Yep. And uh, follow follow them. Follow the site at Talking Chop. Um, Good content all day today and really every day. There's always something going on. And Eric's the manager, ma- wait, managing editor of MLB Daily Dish. Is that what it is? Is that what your title is? Yeah, uh, yeah site manager, sure. Uh, site I manager, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, the man I, in I, charge I of MLB I, Daily I, Dish. I, yeah, I am in charge. I don't know if I actually have, I'm not sure exactly what my official title is between those two. So we'll go with that one. And Scott just talks about the Braves on Twitter. I do. And, and, Arizona, and the and Arizona football, right? Oh, God. Let's not talk. How about, hey, how about that Michigan game? It was great. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Go Blue. All right. That's the end of the podcast, guys. That'll do it for today <laughs> on, on this fine Monday. Go Blue, everyone. Sorry. That did not go well for me. But in all seriousness, thanks to, thanks to both of you. We'll be back again uh, next week-ish. I mean, this is kind of, yeah, if something else happens, then we'll come back. But if not, we'll see everybody else on Sunday. 